Wow. Yeah, you can give that a hand. That's what happens when we when we give and we partner. We get to be a part of blessings like that, and that is really, really cool. Tyson, good work on those announcements. He did not want to do that, and I'm proud of him for getting up here and doing that. That was awesome. Um, in the spirit of full disclosure, there is a membership meeting next week, and uh, and that is required if you are not a member and you would like to vote. And I will just mention that not at this next meeting, but sometime this year, you guys will be voting on me. I'm still the new guy. And so uh, so some of you may be grumpy and thinking, how are we getting rid of this guy? You got one shot. One shot. You say you better go through the membership process and uh, and make sure you can get your uh, – no, I'm teasing. But but, uh, but that's fun stuff. And it is, it is what it is, all right? All right? That's how we do things. And, uh, and so – Anyways, I'm so excited. Hopefully uh, you have enjoyed this series that we've been pushing through, talking about the idea of upgrading, how at the beginning of every year we evaluate things and we decide what we need to upgrade. And for some of you this year, you're upgrading your phone and you're excited about that, or you've got to upgrade your computer, or maybe you upgraded your gym membership, right, or whatever it is. But, but for the last few weeks, we've been talking about areas in our walk with Jesus that we can upgrade. And so last week, we talked about how we need to lift. It was called, Bro, Do You Even Lift? And talking about lifting our prayers up before, uh, before the Lord. And uh, this week, we, um, the week before that, we talked about getting in to the word and worried about our diet. And so this week uh, we are uh, we are continuing. We're talking about cardio and, and dealing with our hearts, dealing with our hearts. And what's interesting uh, in just the world we live in today, one out of three men die because of heart disease. One in three, one in four for the ladies, one in four for the ladies. So taking care of your heart may not be something that's regularly on your mind, but let's be real. Taking care of your heart's a really big part of being alive and staying alive. And I was thinking about how we know how our heart is really doing. And I'm not a nurse. I don't have any medical training. But I know that it's important every once in a while to check your pulse so that you know your heart is still going. So I thought maybe we'd start today and I'll check our pulse, right? And uh, I'm, not a, I'm not great at that. So someone who's great at that knows you want to you wanna take two fingers and reach right up there on the top of your wrist, right, and see if that ticker's going. Or maybe, you know, you do two fingers. Don't do your thumb because your thumb has like a heartbeat, right? And so you'll, you'll get mistaken. And you can reach underneath right, right where your jugular kind of comes in right there, right? If you can't find your heart rate in either of those places, you might be dead. But you can try one more way. <laughs> put your hand just right over your heart and put a little pressure on there. That's how I always just make sure it's still ticking. I might not be able to take my pulse that way, but at least I know it's going. You feel your heart in there? Is that thing going? Is it ticking? Is it working? I was thinking about things that happen to our heart. There's a, a thing called, uh, and now I was talking to one of my buddies to figure out how to, how to explain this because I'm not a medical professional. So those of you that have a little more experience, you can correct me afterwards. But there's a thing, there's some things that happen to our hearts. And one of those things is, is VTEC. And the other thing is V-fib. And, and there are two extreme conditions that happen to our heart that lead ultimately to heart failure. Now, VTEC is when your heart rate is going too fast all the time. So if you think about a little EKG going bleep, bleep, right? VTEC is like bleep, 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 bleep. And your heart rate is going too fast. And it's moving too quick. And your heart is going too hard. And it's running too fast. And then V-fib is when your heart rate is irregular, 
and slow. And it's like, right? And either one of those two extremes eventually will get you. Eventually they'll get you. So I was thinking about this whole nature of our hearts. And I was thinking about in our walk with Jesus, the scriptures time and time again talk to us about our heart. But when they talk to us about our heart, they're not talking about that literal organ that, you know, doesn't look like this. Looks more like, you know, a brain almost thing that just pulses like that. But, but it's not talking about it. When the scriptures talk about our heart, it talks about the center of our emotions and our feelings and our desires. And all throughout the scriptures, all throughout this book, it talks to us about our heart. It says crazy things like, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else? Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it's the wellspring of life. That out of that thing that is your thinker and your feeler and your desires, out of that comes the wellspring of your life. And so you need to guard it. It also says that the heart is deceitful above all things. That our desires will betray us. Our wants will betray us. They're deceitful above all things. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. Do you ever want to take the temperature of your heart? Listen to what comes out of your mouth. Ooh, there's a whole sermon right there. We could just go out. We could go. You want to go deeper with that? Something happens and you're stressed out and no one's around and you use language you would never use anywhere else. It just comes out of you. What is that? Overflow of your heart. Somehow what got in here looks like that. You want to take that temperature? What's coming out of your heart? Someone ticks you off and you unload? Woo! What is that? Heart disease. Heart disease. That's what that is. Something got into your heart. Jesus goes even further and says the good, for, good man brings up good things out of the goodness stored in his heart, and the wicked man brings up wicked things out of wicked. Woo! Then he goes even further and says, but beware... On the day of judgment, men will have to give an account for every careless word they've spoken. Just let that sink in for a second. I used to have that written on a piece of paper in my wallet. And I would like to just try to train my heart and my lips to coordinate. Whenever I'd fail, which was all the time, and something would come out of my mouth that I knew was really stored in my heart, I'd get it out and I'd read it. And I'd just remember. Oh, that wasn't just like a spur-of-the-moment thing. That wasn't just a reactive thing. That's in my heart. And someday I'll be eyeball-to-eyeball with Jesus, and we're going to have a conversation. And somewhere in that conversation is going to come up the words that were coming out of my mouth. Ouch! Some of you are like, seriously? All right, we'll dive into that later, because if we get there, we'll just that'll be it, right? But, but our hearts are important. Our thinker, our feeler, our desires are important. And Jesus talks about it. The scriptures unpack that we've got to take care of our heart. And so as we dive in today, I just want to challenge you. We need to upgrade the condition of our heart and keep our hearts healthy. So how do we do it? Well, I got to be honest with you. I wrote two solid messages for today, and I had a previous message already written. So I had three directions to go for this week. Three that I was wrestling with 
Jesus, how are we going to talk about our hearts? Where are we going with this? And, and, uh, and so I got to tell you, I've been all over the place all week just pressing in. And I think it's because my heart is just messy and where all of our hearts get messy. And there's not an easy way to just dial right into this. And so, uh, and so I've been all over, <laughs> all over the place with that. But here's where I landed. And, and let me just tell you why. Can I give you a, I'll give you a little story? But, so I got a text from my mom this week. And, and uh, she's awesome. And she's down in Northern California. And this text was, hey, sorry, hon, and then a picture of a news article. And so I see the news article. And as I look at the news article, the title of the news article has the name of one of my dear friends in it. So I go online and I look at the article, and let me just tell you the relationship I have with this guy. And, um, I'll call him John uh, for, for his privacy, although it's in the paper. Um, so my buddy John was my best friend in high school middle school and high school for about eight years the closest person in my whole life Uh, he was the best man in my wedding Uh, we worked together uh, uh, in our career paths and we registered to go to bible college together we were going to be roommates in bible college together Um, i don't have a friend i have a brother but he's 10 years younger than me and a knucklehead and so (laughs) and so uh, and i love him dearly but, you know, I moved out at 17, so he was seven when I moved away. And so I don't, not many seven-year-olds are your best friend. And so my best friend was, was this, my friend, John, who stuck with me like a brother, who walked through the journey of faith with me, who wrestled with the scriptures with me, who prayed with me, who got into trouble with me, got lost in the woods and shot things with me. I mean, like, this, is, this was my guy. And so along his life journey, I'm not going to say he was smarter than me. I'll just say that his, his field of expertise was more technical than mine. And he had this computer background that allowed him to get offered jobs that I couldn't get offered, okay? And so we get ready to go off to college, and he gets a job offer, like kind of job offer you just dream of. He gets invited to work for um, the government at a weapons, a laser weapon technology place, and he's going to be the system engineer for their computers, okay? It's the kind of job that you just, I mean, he's, he's a little bit older than me, so he's 19, 20, and he gets this job. They offer him 20 grand to take the job at 19 years old. And then they start him just under six figures. And for the first year, while they run his background check, he can't even do his job. He just sits in the lobby. And they just give him remedial tasks to do, okay, until he passes because he's got to have top security clearance to do this job. And so we're getting ready to go to Bible college. And he gets offered this incredible job. And he says, you know what, Mike, I think I need to do this job. And he doesn't go. A year into the job, he and I are talking, and he says, you know what, I still feel like there's something I'm supposed to do. I'm going to register for Bible I'm going to leave this behind. I'm going to go. And they give him a raise. Right, right at that year mark, and he can't do it. He can't leave. It's just too good a thing. Falls in love, gets married, buys a big giant house. I mean, living the dream. He's in his early 20s, and he's got everything you could ever imagine. But somewhere in the midst of all of that, uh, a, a deep-seated addiction gets into his life that is bubbling under the surface. Now, when you work for the government and you do things that are illegal, you get in big, big trouble when you have that kind of clearance. And so a couple years later, um, his life gets ripped apart as some things surface, and uh, his house gets raided, his wife leaves him, and he ends up in jail. So 
you know, some years go by, we're friends, we're floating in circles, and, and uh, a long story short, um, through the last many years, I've lost touch with him because he's been homeless, and it's just been crazy, and I, I, I'm giving you this big, long, sad story to tell you that the closest person in my whole life for many, many years, I had no fathomable way to get a hold of him, he's just living uh, unplugged and out, and so last week he was arrested down at the marina he's living down at the, at the marina and violation of his parole and things connected to his addiction that were out of control and he's going back to prison so my mom texts me this thing and just says sorry and i gotta tell you i had a heart issue I had a heart issue because my first heart issue was like you had everything everything that someone would say they want and you threw it all away i was angry at him angry and then there was a, I'm, a, I'm glad you're in jail at least they know where you're at and so I, and I had this and then all of a sudden something broke in me <laughs> the lord took me to luke 15 and that's where we're going to go and and i was challenged i was just really challenged to love the way god loves in those circumstances now now he violated our friendship. I mean, all these things. I have all the reasons in the world to just be like, done with you. And here's the Lord saying, am I ever done with somebody? Am I ever done with somebody? So I'm going to get into the word with you guys a little bit for a little while today. And and then you guys can go cheer for the Hawks and we'll see how it goes. I'm in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is about to tell some pretty incredible stories and there's a crowd there, similar to the crowd in Luke chapter 5 we talked about, that are present. And the crowd's important because without the crowd, you don't know why he's telling these particular stories. So we're going to get into that. But he tells three stories, and it's, it's really three stories, but it's one story. It's kind of like when you watch a movie, and there's like three distinct stories, but there's a theme that's coming through the three stories, and they all intersect to make one giant point, and it's like this very poignant uh, compelling story, and Jesus, the master storyteller, is telling uh, three stories, but he's telling one story, ultimately, to this audience, and he's talking about things that get lost, things that get lost, and he's talking about how we react differently to the valuable things that get lost. It's interesting because he talks about a, 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 some lost sheep, I'm sorry, a lost sheep, he talks about a lost coin, and then he talks about a lost person. And I was thinking about the most valuable things that we can lose. I just shared a pretty in-depth story about a dear friend of mine lost. But I, I was thinking about valuable things we can lose. Just um, over the holidays, uh, my family, we drove down to California. We went to Six Flags while we were down there. We were at Discovery Kingdom, a totally awesome place, and had the whole family there. And uh, also had Grandma and some other folks there. And, and I remember thinking... We were at an area, because my kids are at a certain age, you know, roller coaster type things, some of them are fun, but most of the time they just want to play and run around on things. And we're in this area for younger kids, and they're climbing and running and having fun. And it's packed. There's tons of people around. And, and parents, you know this, right? Your kid's playing in an area, and there's it's tons of people around. You basically do the same thing. You just kind of walk through and count. Okay, okay one, two, three. Got them. Okay, hey, how are you doing? Great. Okay, hold on. One, two, three. Oh, yeah. Everybody's fun, right? Well, one, two, 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 two. Okay, two, 
and three. Okay, <laughs> good, right? We do the same thing, right? That's what we do at those environments. We're tracking our, our kids. We want to make sure they're safe. We're paying attention. And here's the thought I had as I was preparing this. Can you imagine if at the end of the day we've been at Six Flags, a theme park, all day long, we get to the front gate, we get on the tram to drive back to our car, and I did a head count, and I was like, one, two, huh. Oh, well. Like, two out of three is pretty good, right? I don't, the third one, wherever, you know, he's probably lost in the park, but it's not a big deal. You know, I, I managed to get home with two out of three. That's a pretty good deal. Nobody would do that. Well, nobody should do that. <laughs> Let me qualify. Some of you are like, well, you know. <laughs> nobody should do that. Why? Because of how much value and love we have for our family. Even if it was grandma who got left behind, I would have waited and went and looked for her. The head count wouldn't have been complete. Why is it that we think God thinks less of his kids when they're running and lost and in rebellion and he's doing the head count? And we're like, well, you know, he got like four out of seven. That's pretty good, God. Yay. Good job. But we think somehow the good, good father, the king of the universe, thinks less of his kids than we think of our kids. You want to know how valuable something is? Let it get lost. Let it get lost. Ladies, let's talk about what, the time you lost your wedding ring because you did it. Right? You put it on the counter, it fell off or something. You, you know, you went to sleep, you woke up, it wasn't there. And what did you do? Like, ah, you know, there's jewelry stores. We could always get a new wedding ring. Not that big a deal. Or did you tear the house apart? Say, nobody walk in this room. And, you know, and you're looking for stuff and you're going through places and you're trying to find. Why? Because it's valuable. You want to meet your neighbors? Let your dog run away. Right? Probably the best thing that could happen to some of you is for your pet to get lost. That sounds awful. That's going to come out, right? Why? Because you'll go meet your neighbors to go find Fluffy. You won't go meet them just to say hi and get to know them and connect with them. But your dog get out. Have you seen a little irritating yapper? It's like this big, dragging one leg behind it. You know, I love that thing. Did you see it? And you'll meet your neighbors. You'll put signs up. Your kids will be crying. You'll be walking around. You'll be driving around all night. Fluffy! Fluffy, come home, right? You'll, you'll go insane to find it. Why? Value. Value. When things are valuable, we'll go through ridiculous lengths to find them. And when we find Fluffy, what do we do? But I love you so much. But I love you so much. We live in that tension, but we're so excited. Guess what? You met all your neighbors, so... Amen. Good job, Fluffy. <laughs> and yet we think God looks at us somehow as less valuable than that. And so Jesus tells this series of stories that's one story, and it's amazing. As we do, though, get into the story, I told you we got to know the audience because if we don't know the audience, we don't know the power of the story. For instance, when I tell a story to you guys as the audience, there's something different than if I'm talking to my four-year-old, Right? The, the, the illustrations may mean something different to a, a room full of mostly adults. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> but then if I'm talking to my four-year-old, right? And, and it means something. So you've got to know who Jesus is talking to. So in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it tells us who he's talking to. It says, now the tax collectors 
and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man, he welcomes sinners, he eats with them. And Jesus told this parable. Hold that up there for just a second. I know in our day and age, we have like an instinctive, whether you've actually had a bad experience with them or not, we just all instinctively can kind of go, yeah, IRS, boo, right? We, we like have a natural, instinctive uh, a way of feeling that way about them. Uh, but, but it really is genu- genuinely, generally unfounded. Maybe you had a bad experience. I don't know what it is. But in our worldview, tax collector is just kind of like irritant. Irritant, right? That's not what a tax collector was in this world. And I think sometimes we miss when Jesus, time and time again, when he goes to, you know, Zacchaeus, he says, hey, get down from that tree. I'm going to go eat at your house. When he goes up to Matthew, who's literally sitting at the tax collector booth and says, follow me. And then he goes and eat at his house. And everybody freaks out about it. I don't think we have a right understanding of what a tax collector really was in their culture. Because we think a tax collector, you know, he's supposed to collect, you know, $50 from me, but he collects $60, and so he's a jerk, and I don't like him. And we kind of all learned that, that, you know, they were a little bit, they could steal from us, and since they stole from us, you know, we didn't like them, and nobody likes someone who steals from us, and so we're like, oh, those guys are jerks. Great. That's not still what a tax collector was in this culture. In order to understand who a tax collector was in this culture, you've got to understand something about the, the context of what's happening in their world. And you've got to understand a couple things about what it's like to be conquered by an outside group. Rome is in charge. They've conquered the known world. When I say the known world, from basically England to India. Some of you are not geography majors. If you were to look at that part of the map, it would be all of this. Okay? From England to India, Rome is in charge. They have conquered. They are vicious. Rome is not nice. They don't care about you and your culture. And listen, I'm going to try to make this make sense. The amount of area that Rome is in charge of is insane in their standards. In our standards, to be in charge from like D.C. to Oregon is not that big of a deal because you can jump on a plane and get from D.C. to Oregon relatively easily. But if you're in charge from England to India and you're riding around on elephants or horses, that's an insane amount of territory to manage. I was thinking about, you know, in the news, I don't care about what you think about it, but, you know, there's a little, in Oregon, there's some, uh, some guys with guns and they took over a little place and it's like a fight, right? And so if there's an uprising, for D.C. to deal with that, if push really came to shove, would take minutes, right? Minutes. In Rome, if there's an uprising in England, it may take a year to get the army in place to crush the uprising. Do you understand the difference in what's happening in this culture? So to manage that large of a space, the only way to do it is to have the largest, most brutal army that the world's ever seen. You've got to have soldiers everywhere. And those soldiers have to just crush any, any uprising. It's a brutal occupation that's happening. There are stories historically, I've gotten away from the word a little bit, I'm just giving you some history. Stories historic, historically, towns and cities that have, that have risen up, and Rome would come in and literally slaughter thousands and just put them on crosses and stake them out in front on the road so that anyone passing by would see thousands of women, children, men just dead on the side of the road as a sign of what happens if you fight back at all this is who's in charge 
Now, in order to do that, you've got to have a massive army. In order to have a massive army, you've got to have what? Coinage. The most critical system is money and taxing. You've got to collect because you've got to feed those soldiers. You've got to give them weapons. You've got to train them. You've got to buy their loyalty, right? So in this culture, it's dominated by another culture, and they can do anything they want to you. They can steal from you. They can rape, murder, pillage. They have absolute authority, and you have nothing. And then a tax collector would be someone who you know, who has a good beat on your neighborhood, who says, hey, I'll take the job of making sure that this army gets funded by my friends, by my neighbors, by my community. And while I'm doing it, I'll get rich doing it by stealing from them also. I can't think of a a way to express how vilified these people were, these tax collectors. They ensured that Rome could abuse you indefinitely. And they also abused you. And you knew them. You grew up with them. You went to church or synagogue with them at some season of their life. You were connected to They were culturally. They were us. They were us. And they turned on their own people and supported the invading, brutal army. So when the tax collectors become the group of people that Jesus hangs out with, you can imagine the establishments like, dude, I understand that not everybody's perfect, but not those guys. We hate those guys. We hate them. And it says the tax collectors and the sinners. And I love that sinners, I love that tax collectors are so hated that they can't even get lumped into the category with sinners. They can't even get lumped in the same category. It's that they're so hated that scripturally, Luke, the historian, can't bring himself to lump them in the same category. He has to clearly say, everybody hates this guys. Even the sinners hate these guys. Right? Even the sinners are like, we're not those guys. And sinners was like a class at, at that time. In the, in the first century, it was like a class of people. And we see it all throughout scripture. There are people that had jobs of ill repute prostitution that had done things like that. It was like a class. It was people who had uh, medical things that made them unclean. Remember when they came up to Jesus and they said, who sinned that this man has this handicap? And, and, and Because they just assumed that if there was something wrong with you that you were... So it was like an outcast group of just recognizable rotten folks. Now we, we when we hear sinner, we think, well, all of sin and fall short. We're all in the sinner group, right? We all think like that. Now they were a distinct class. There was, you know, people that mess up but go to temple and do their thing, and there were, like, sinners who didn't give a rip. And so that's who's in the audience. It says, but then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we've got to talk about Pharisees and teachers of the law for just a second. Here's the thing about a Pharisee. To be a Pharisee or a scribe, you had to memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So you think that you're pretty good on your church stuff. They were better. Think about what they're memorizing. Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When's the last time you were like, I really need to get some word in my heart. I'm going to memorize Numbers. I'm going to memorize Numbers. I just, Numbers. Are you kidding me? Where's Numbers? Let's have some fun. The descendants of Issachar by their clans were through Tola, the Tolalite clan, through Pua, the Puite clan, through Jeshub, the Jeshubite clan, through Samron, the Simronite clan. These were the clans of Issachar, and those numbers were 64,300. That was three verses in numbers. 
you memorize those three verses by next week, I will be highly impressed. They had the entire book memorized. So you think that you got your church thing down. These guys had their church thing down. They were sharp. They knew. And they lived it to the best of their ability. They lived it so well that they made up their own rules to make sure that they lived it. They're like, I have to observe the Sabbath. And it says I shouldn't work. And so, you know, walking is a lot of work. So I'm going to make sure that I number my steps on the Sabbath. And I don't walk more than a certain number of steps because I want to make sure. I mean, that's how literally they got into the word of God. So I know we vilify them all the time, but these guys were living it. They were doing the best they could. Now, their hearts were wrong, but their actions and their, I mean, they were better at the church thing than you are. They were better at it, better at it. So I know we vilify them and we, you know, we give them a hard time. But so that's who's there. The best of the best and the worst of the worst. And Jesus tells a story about the value of lost things. He tells three stories, but it's one story. He tells a story about a sheep. And he's like, hey, let me, uh, let me get my Bible open here. He says, there's a sheep. If you had a hundred of them and you lost one, you'd go get it. You'd leave everything behind and you'd find it. And then in verse 7, he says, I tell you the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who don't need to repent. Remember who's in the audience. Then he tells a story about a coin. A lady loses one. She's got ten. She tears the house up. She finds it. She says, in the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over a sinner who repents. And then he tells a story about a family. Now, the scriptures call this the parable of the lost son, but it's really a story. Jesus never called it the parable of the lost son. He just says uh, there was a man who had two sons. That's what Jesus says. I love this because we hear parable of the lost son, and we, we, some of you have heard this story a million times, and you're like, yeah, I know this kid goes crazy. But Jesus doesn't say, hey, there's a kid that goes crazy. He says there was a man, and he had how many sons? Remember, we're talking about heart conditions today. It says, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, we've got to talk about that for just a second. Some of you heard this before, but for you in that culture to go to your father, let's just put it in our culture for just a second. If you were to go to a surviving parent, if you have one of those, and just say, hey, you know, you're living a long time. People live a long time nowadays. It's really cramping my style how long you're living. Because if you were just not living, I could have my share of your stuff. And that would be awesome. That's essentially what's happening here, but in a culture where the family estate is basically the family status, the family everything, recognizable element. For a son to go to a father and say, hey, I'm going to need from you now, what I would be entitled to should you die is essentially saying, you can't die fast enough. I'm ready for what I think I'm entitled to. In this culture, they could beat a child for this. They could take him out publicly and, and, and throw rocks at him till he died, according to their law, for even initiating this kind of disrespect. So you got to remember who's here in this. Two crowds. Far away, running and religious folks. And you can imagine the religious folks just absolute disgust at the opening of this story. So there's a man with two sons, and one of them says, I wish you were dead, and I had all your stuff. Whew! 
And then look what the father does. So he divided his property between them. Wait, are you serious? He does it. He divides the property between them. He says, okay, I hear you. I am living a long time. Here you go. Now, I don't know if you've ever liquidated your assets before because of some emergency, but when you do that, you generally take a loss. You generally pay penalties. It's generally not a beneficial thing to, in an emergency way, say, I need to get you all of this liquid asset as quickly as possible. I've got to sell the sheep. i got to do whatever it is, right? I'm going to do that. But he does it, and it says he divided his property between them. Then, this is pretty amazing. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. So he hung out for a little while, right? He's like, dude, this is awesome. I'm still living with dad, but I got all the wealth now. And then it says he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, I was struggling with this story. You got to remember it's a parable. So Jesus is painting a picture. He's the best storyteller on the planet has ever existed. And, and uh, he's given an example. But here's the thing. I always thought this was an issue of greed. Like, I want what I'm entitled to right now. This isn't a greed issue. This son lives with the father and has access to the father's wealth. He's already rich. What he's not is in control. You see the difference? He's rich, but he's under authority. And so he wants to be rich and not under authority. This isn't about greed. Some of you are like, oh, so greedy. No, it's not greed. It's control. No one tells me what to do with my life. No one gets to weigh in. I don't want to feel your judging eyes, Daddy, when I go out and do the things that I want to do. I want to experience everything that the world has. Does this sound like anybody you may know? Is there a name floating around in your head right now? This kid's already got provision. It's not about I, was, I had nothing. So give me what I'm entitled to. I'm living like a pauper. I want what I, that's not what it is. It's dad knows everything I do right now, and this is weak. I want control. I want to go do my own thing. Dad's rules are a drag. There's a curfew here. Like, right? It's whatever that is. There's boundaries. I don't want boundaries. I'm going to run. I want what I think is freedom. It says he went to a distant country, and he squandered his wealth in wild living now it's easy to pick on this guy because his weaknesses are weaknesses we all see every day and we can agree on i think for centuries guys like me have just picked on this guy said do you see what he did he wasted it i don't know about you i like this guy not that what he did but i'm like i can relate to this guy's weaknesses I understand what it's like to want to just run wild and, and be free. I get that. I get, like, I, he's relatable to me. I understand his, his shortcomings. I get those kind of weaknesses. They make sense to me. Because after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Now, listen, there's something powerful there. Do you know, when you're in, like, everything's together, a famine doesn't really affect you. Right? When you've got massive water reserves, a drought is not that big of a deal. I was thinking about this last year when, when the drought was so bad, and they were, they were like doing Google Image-style shots of L.A., and you could tell where the wealthiest were because their grass was green. All these water rations were in place, and they got green, green grass. 
They're just chilling with green grass. It doesn't matter that there's a drought. Who cares? Cost me more. Right? Gas prices can go through the roof. Whatever. $25 a gallon. I still got to drive. Whatever. I got it. But when you are in need and the drought comes and the famine comes, isn't it funny? The enemy always sends the extra pressure when you've already done the dumb thing and wasted the provision that God gave you. Am I the only one? No one's nodding with me on that. Let's try that again. Isn't it funny that the extra pressure always seems to come when you've already done the dumb thing and wasted the provision that God's given you, and now there's no margin? Come on, where's that breathing room series? Now there's no room left for the crunch of the situation, and then the famine comes. He had plenty of provision before the famine came, but he had a good time. Then the famine came. So he went. And he hired himself out. Hold on just right there. I love this kid. He went to work. I don't know about you, but if I found myself in that situation, I'd be like, oh, woe is me or whatever. Sometimes in the midst of the famine, we can learn something. It's time to go back to work. It's time to go back to provide. It's time to take the resources God's given you and start to activate them. At least he went to work. And I also love this. It says he, he went and spent everything he had. He had, a, he had like a spree. And, and he was generous. He wasn't selfish. He was making it rain. Right? And then there was no rain and everybody was like, oh, see you later. But he was like. He just wanted freedom and experience things. He was just running wild. Now you're like, oh, you're being real sympathetic for this guy. I'm just telling you, I understand those kind of shortcomings. I don't know if you do. I, I get it. I can relate to those kind of shortcomings. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who uh, sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He took the crummiest job he could get and he just took it. Any of you ever been in that situation where you had to take a crummy job, take a demotion, do the thing that required some humility? In his culture, feeding the pigs was the lowest job he could get. Pigs were unclean animals to his culture. He wasn't even supposed to touch them. But he said, I got to make this work. Man, I can respect that. The guy says, I'll do the, I'll, I'll, I'm pulling cans out of the garbage and I'm recycling them because I got to find a, I mean, like, I, I'm going to dog that guy? I'm not dogging that guy. It says, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one even gave him anything. The pigs are eating better than he is, and he's out there working. Verse 17 is so powerful. When he came to his senses, can I just say, sometimes we just got to come to our senses. Sometimes we, we try to rest the freedom that we thought we didn't have, and we don't realize that when we... We don't realize that when we were living with the Father, we had freedom that was beyond what we could imagine. We thought we needed freedom that was bigger than that. So we ran that way. We experienced that freedom. We hit the bottom. We're in the mud. It's filthy. We're doing anything we can to possibly make it. And we get so defeated that we're just like, there's nothing we could possibly do. And the word of the Lord would just say, hey, come to your senses. Stop thinking that way. Stop it. Stop staying stuck. Yeah, you ran. Yeah, you tried to get, you know, some kind of freedom that you thought was bigger and you realized that it wasn't all it cracked up to be. It's okay to take a deep breath and come to your senses. Guys, we got to come to our senses. Because when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
I'll go out. I'll set, he said, I set out. I'll set out. I mean, that's easy for me to say, right? I will set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, he, so he comes up with a speech, right? He's got a, pre, a preset speech that he's going to do with God or with his father. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. Isn't it pretty funny we start bargaining with the father? It's like, I know I'm an idiot. Talking about me, you would never use that kind of language about yourself, right? God, I know I'm an idiot. I know I ran, and I know I'm getting what I deserve. But if it's cool with you, I know I cashed out what I was entitled to by being a son. But if I could just be like the low ring with you, it would be better than the highest ring I could kind of do on my own. And we kind of come up with a pre-done resolution, and we justify trying to get back into what we had that we had lost. So he got up. Everybody say he got up. Yeah, somebody might need to get up today. And he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, and this is just amazing, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Now, I don't know. I don't wear a robe the way these guys wore robes. And so the visual I have of a father running isn't the same visual that they would have had. I just want you to imagine the undignified manner for a Middle Eastern father to, to have to basically hike up his skirt, his undergarments under there, and hold it together and run towards his son. The lack of dignity, the lack of concern for outward appearances that we would measure as important to just drop everything and run to his son. And God, remember, son's got a speech ready to go. He's got to like, here's what I'm trying to negotiate. He's going to negotiate with his father. He's ready to negotiate. But his father isn't hearing it. His father just runs, throws his arms around him. Fathers, listen, I, I don't know why it's weird in our culture for dads to just show affection. Can I just put that out there and let us all be uncomfortable for a second? You need to love your sons and your kids. You need to throw your arms around them. Uh, I mean, you need to kiss them on the head at least. You need to squeeze them. You need to let them know that their dad loves them. Just feel that. Let's move on. He, <laughs> he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. You just, let's not be so weirded or worried about how that will look. And let's care about what it will do. Okay? Okay. And, and the son said to him, remember the son's got a speech. He's ready. He's like, Father! I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, remember, the second part two of the speech is about to happen. Make me like a servant and just, right? And the dad's like, shut up. No, he says, but you get it. But the father said to his servants, hey, quick. He, he stops him. Bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The fact that he doesn't have sandals on his feet, you've got to understand that for a second, how low you've sunk. In this culture, because to walk on these roads, people just used their animals, right, and got from place to place. And there wasn't like a pooper scooper team that just managed that. And so, like, literally the last thing you would get rid of are the sandals on your feet. There's a reason why washing feet was such a big deal and it was a common practice before meals and th things like that. Because your feet were nasty. It was gross. 
And for a father to run and throw his arms around a, a robeless, shoeless, sandalless boy and say, get the best robe. You know, the only time in Scripture that I could think of the best robe showing up in Joseph's story, it's a pretty amazing, powerful statement about a father's love and bringing the best. There's just something there that would resonate with them. Putting a ring on his finger. Now, in this culture, the ring was authority. It wasn't just like jewelry. It was, I now have purchasing power. I represent the father again. I can go to town and do business for him again. It's positional authority in the family is what the ring represented, okay? And so he's restoring to him not just a, a, a provision for himself, but authority in the family is being brought back. That's crazy. Then he says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. So they began to celebrate. Now, meanwhile, remember, we just think this is a story about one son because it says a parable of the lost son. But Jesus says there were two sons. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and get this, dancing. Dancing. Now, that's an unusual thing in this culture in the middle of the day to be going on on a work day. I just, I want you to get a picture of what's happened in the house. I mean, there's some, my son is home, my son is home, my son is home, my son is home, and pull it, and pull it, and pull it. I mean, there is a party going on. And he's like, it's, it's Thursday. Why is there a party going on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in my father's house? I'm out here working. What is happening? So he came near the house, and he heard music, and he heard dancing. So he calls one of the servants. And he asked him, hey, what's going on? What's going on? The servant says, your brother has come home and your father's killed the fattened calf. We're eating steak and we're dancing. That's awesome. Because he has him back safe and sound. Now listen to his response. He says, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. I just want to hold that right there. Have you ever seen someone get blessed and somehow you can't, be excited for them because something in you on some level in your heart is held up and you're thinking, did he seriously just get blessed? Did he seriously? I know something on him. I know something on her. I've heard her talk. I've seen what she does. I know the story behind that. Are you serious, God? You're throwing a party and that one's getting blessed. Have you seen what I've been doing? You ever let that get in your heart? No one wants to admit that, right? Remember who's in the crowd. Up until this point, the story's been awesome for the, for the teachers. They've been, they've been like, yeah, I see all this. And then all of a sudden it flips and, and the father accepts him back. And they're like, are you kidding me? And now all of a sudden you got another story. And here's what I want you to catch more than anything else. The other brother not only became angry, what he refused to do? Refused to go in. There was a party there was celebration. There was steak. His brother, who was lost, is found. And he said, I can't even go in there. Who has the heart disease now? So his father, I just want you to catch. This is so amazing. His father went out and pleaded with him. See, the father doesn't just love the, the rascal. 
He loves the one. See, I told you, the, the first son I get. Like, I like that. I, I, I get that. We all want to run and go crazy. This is the son that I really have a hard time with. You can't even enjoy someone else's being blessed. Either way, I don't care what you think you're entitled to, right? Like, there's like this moment of just, I'm entitled. I deserve something. And the father comes out and pleaded with him. And he answers the father. Look what's in his heart. All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat. Dude, there's steak in there. And everybody's dancing and you're fighting because you didn't get a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother anymore. Can you imagine in town, people say, hey, how's your brother doing? He's carrying the shame of that. I'm the good son. I took care of everything. How's your brother doing? Oh, he's crazy out there. He's living with the pigs. How's your brother? Oh, he's crazy. Now he comes home. How's your brother doing? Dad brought him back. Threw a party. Gave him a ring. He's the same as me. What? Your dad did what? You know, that's consternation and indignation coming out of him. But the father comes out and pleads with him. He's like, dude, there's a party. Come in. Come in. He says, everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. Give me a lot more. This brother of yours was dead. Did we lose it? It's okay. And he is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. And that's how the story wraps up and Today I wanted to talk about heart conditions. I think there's a couple of heart conditions, and, and we're going we're gonna to close. I want you to catch something crazy. I'm going to take you all the way back to verse 12. I'm going to take you all the way back up to verse 12. The younger one said to the father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between who? Them. It never occurred to me all the times I read this story that the older brother got the same blessing that the younger brother did when the younger brother went and caused such a ruckus. Everything that the younger brother got, he got. He never got shortchanged. He had all of the provision, all of the blessing. When the father says, everything I have is yours, he didn't get shortchanged. He didn't get ripped off. He didn't get somehow, he's a dreamer, but he doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't make anything happen. He doesn't get frustrated, but he sees his brother get blessed. His brother had filthy actions, but his spirit, this guy's spirit was really good. He couldn't celebrate someone else's success. And I'm just challenged today as we talk about upgrading our heart. We always look at the brother who just ran crazy. And there's a thing that's there for some of us. For some of us, there's a thing that says, God... I know that, you know, you got what you got taken care of, but I just need some room to run. I'm not really sure that you've got this. So I'm going to take control and run with a little bit. That's one of the things Jesus is talking about. The other thing he's talking very clearly is he says there's another group, and you think that somehow by serving God and giving God your best, that somehow you've earned some entitlement beyond, you don't realize what you've really got. You've got everything. You've got everything. And so our hearts, they get, they get messed up. They get tied in knots. And we get lost somewhere in that journey. And Jesus looks at this crowd and he looks at people who are far away from him. 
And he says, you can come home. You can come home. You think what you've done, tax collector, is taking you to some place where you can't come home? If you turn, if you came to your senses, if you looked around at the muck and the mud and the mire and said, this isn't good enough for me, and you just came to your senses, you know what your father would do? He would run to you. He would throw his arms around you. He'd bring a clean robe and clean shoes. He'd put a ring on your finger that signified that you matter in the kingdom just as much as any other person. Your economics in the kingdom are amazing. You haven't lost anything. Just come home. And he looks at those of us who have been doing the church thing for a while. And he says, don't you ever get to a place where you feel like somehow you can't come into the party. That you've got to work and keep being out there and keep pushing and keep driving. And somehow, could, would you just come into the party? Would you just come in and celebrate? I love you. And this is good. And it's fun. And it's alive. And it's worth it. You can come in. And sometimes our hearts get a little checked. And we're like, oh, I don't know, God. I'm busy out here. I'm doing all these different things. Just throw me a goat. I'll be fine. He's like, dude, there's steak in here. It's better. Just throw me a goat. Let me, you know, let me have a, let me have a one, you know, Friday night where I have a glass of wine with my friends. And, you know, it'd be great. He's like, stop it. Stop thinking somehow you've been shortchanged. The party is for you. It's for you just as much as it is for that person that's been running so far and so fast. It's for you. So if you were to take your pulse today, where would you be? Have you been running? Have you been chasing, not necessarily material things, I'm talking about chasing control. Saying, I, I got this. I need to control things. I need, I need my family to look like this. I need my career to look like this. I need my home to look like this. I need my stuff to look like this. And God's like, stop, stop, stop. Come on. Or have you been trying to impress God? Like you got everything together. And he's like, dude, this is fun. This is a party. This is alive. Your, your brothers and sisters, they were lost and they're found. And we're going to celebrate. That's amazing. Come and celebrate. Here's what I would like for you to do. I, and this is just how we're going to close. I'm going to let you go, and, and we're almost there. If, if you look in front of you, there's a contact card. And, and would you just pull one of those out and grab a pen? And, and here's all I want you to do. There's a spot in there for prayer. And I don't know if you know this, but we believe that prayer does things and, and moves things. And here's I'm, I'm going to be very simple with you. And, and, and Jeff's going to sing for just a moment and give you a moment. But, but I, I'm just, I don't know where you're at on the spectrum today. Somehow you haven't been able to enjoy the goodness of God. And you've been doing things, but, but in your heart it's just gotten... And i got to tell you, I was there. I read that news article, and I was the second son. I was like, good, fine, I'm done. I wiped my hands, you know. I did life with this person. I love them as much as anyone I've ever loved on the planet that I'm not married to or didn't somehow be involved in their birth. I cared so much about him. And then I looked at all these choices and I was like, that's it. I don't care what happens anymore. At least I know where he is. My heart got hard and ugly. That's, 
I'm just being transparent, okay? Like, I, I'm a professional in this world somehow, and I, that's what came out of me. So I know what comes out of all of us. And maybe for you, you just got to, maybe you got to let go and love somebody that God loves. And you need to be praying for them. I just want you to write their name down if that's what it is. If for you, it's just, God, I haven't enjoyed this for a long time. I need to come into a party. The party, just write that down. If for you, you've been running and trying to get control, and there's some things in your, there's some mud, you've been living with pigs. Let's face it, that's an ugly analogy, but it's true. You can write that down. And I just want you to take a moment. And as you do that, Jeff's going to just, just take us through the chorus. And after you have it written, I just want to invite you to stand. And we're going to sing this together, and we're going we're gonna to close. You know, it's amazing that there's really three sons in the scriptures here. There's these two polar opposite knuckleheads, and there's the son that's telling the story. And nobody knows the father better than him. Since I am the father, I won. And he says, the father you have, you may not even realize this, would run to you if you were running from him, would plead with you to come inside if somehow you'd gotten so stubborn that you couldn't enjoy the party. That's who he is. Could we press into 2016 with our hearts aware of who our father is? It would battle the heart disease. It would battle the bleep, 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 I gotta run, I gotta run. It would battle the bleep, bleep, here we go again. Would bring us to a place of health if we just knew who our Father really is. God, thanks. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for loving the people who we know who run. Thanks for loving us when we run. Thanks for loving us, God, even more than we could imagine. Loving us enough that it's, I've heard this phrase before, it's scandalous to run towards someone who's run from you and love them and accept them and restore them. And and God, that's what you do for us because you're good and you love us. God, when our hearts get hard and when we get frustrated and the world just doesn't seem to be fair and we just don't, we don't understand why someone else is getting blessed and we're not, would we just come into the party and realize that everything you have is ours? We're not cheated. We have more. We didn't lose something by not running from you. We gained by staying with the Father. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. I didn't check the score. I don't know how it's going. Here's what I know. If you'll upgrade your heart this year, you'll be able to handle no matter what result happens. You'll be good with it. And I won't get on your Facebook and see any profanity or anything either way. Hey, we love you. God bless you. Give someone a high five. And you have an awesome week in the Lord.